<laughs> Whoops. Forgot to take that one. <laughs> We're only a couple days with Super Bowl Sunday, and this is how we prepare. Incredible. Well, we ain't winning. It's the a Super lot Bowl. of buttons to click, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, turns out it'll either be the Bengals or the Rams and not the big dudes in the trenches winning the Super Bowl this year. We always win the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's debatable. I know that Rams Patriots Super Bowl was pretty rough. I don't know if we won that one. I I was, you know, <laughs> not stateside, so I mean, fair we're enough. I guess you that. did win. <laughs> but you know, as as I already said, we're already on Super Bowl weekend. I know the more important thing for all you NFL fans out there is that this is Valentine's weekend. So love you guys. Thank you for showing up. Appreciate it. <laughs> Just beautiful. Uh, we have a ton, a ton of stuff to talk about this episode. We are recording and live on Friday instead of Thursday, which is our normal time to do these shows. Because NFL Honors was on Thursday this year, out of nowhere, dropped that on us. I mean, not out of nowhere. We knew it for like a year. At the same time, it's normally on the Saturday before the Super Bowl, and it was not. We already know who won all these awards, and we have a lot of things to talk about as a result of that. Do have a little bit of college news. Do have a little bit of non-NFL stuff to talk about. Uh, But for the most part, we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl here in a bit. Um, Man. Let's, let's go ahead and get started with the NFL news. What do you guys say? Oh, let's jump right on into it. I'm going to put the Wee. caveat out there that uh, I'm not talking about the Hall of Fame class. You guys know this. I'm just going to avoid that topic today. <laughs> we I have mean, a ton of NFL news to get to, and that's not even talking about this. Right. Right. So, right. Buckle um, up, everybody. <laughs> I guess let's get started with the international piece of this. The NFL has just announced that there's some new additions to the international series. Not only are we having games in London, not only are we for sure having another game in Mexico city, but now we have games in Germany officially announced for sure. We know this coming season, we will have a game in Munich and the next year in Frankfurt. The year after that will be in Munich again. Then the year after that will be in Frankfurt again. That is wild. I did not expect Germany to move this quickly for the NFL. And I don't think the NFL expected that either, to be honest with you. But it's happening. I'm not I'm, – I'm honestly not that surprised. I mean, Germany had the most teams in NFL Europe previously. I think they have the most teams in the European League of Football. It makes sense. I'm actually more surprised it took this long for the NFL to have a game there, even though Great Britain makes more sense. Mexico even makes more sense. It's right there. I mean – the Bills even played games intermittently in Canada, but that was, I don't know, that wasn't so much a, a have to or an NFL initiative. That was more of a, they had problems with their stadium thing. So, I don't know. It's it's very interesting that it took this long to me, honestly. Maybe the more interesting part of this news is that every team is now required to participate in international games. In the past, the Green Bay Packers have avoided it. They're the only team to have never played an international game to this point. Of course, we're talking about international initiatives all across NFL history now. I mean, there were games in Japan before. There were games in Mexico and Canada, as you were talking about. Um, but 
every team will be required to participate in at least one international game every eight years going forward. So interesting, interesting move with this resolution. What do you think, Tug? It's the NFL trying to grow the game, and the best way you do that is by, you know, making sure every team gets exposed overseas. You know, I've said it a couple couple times. I'd love to see the uh, football in the Olympics. Um, I know it's not possible right now because no one would even come anywhere near competing. But this is how you grow the game to that that kind of level. Uh, you get exposure out there. You show these other other nations what we're doing, how we're doing it, and eventually the game just grows. And that's what this is. Uh, when when the international thing started out in Europe, most of uh, most of England's favorite teams were the Miami Dolphins, the Oakland Raiders, the Jacksonville Jaguars, because those were the crap teams that couldn't fill those stadiums at home. So they said, yeah, we'll take an overseas game. And those were the only brands being exposed over there. Now you're exposing every brand you have. Granted, it's once every eight years. It's not significant. You're still going to have those teams that play there every year. But. Overall, it's going to help grow the game. It's going to help grow each of these teams' fan bases, which is absolutely massive. It was announced as part of this resolution that every international market has been already kind of divided amongst the teams. Each team has a market that they are specifically marketing to right now. Uh, Germany has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs, among a couple other teams. So they're getting... They're really pushing Germany right now, but clearly. Also, those are the first teams going to be playing in Germany will be the teams that had Germany as their target market right now. So I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more international play here coming soon, as much as possible, really. Which, right, like you're saying, Tug, makes sense growing the brand as much as possible. Yep. And, and it's interesting you mentioned football in the Olympics. I actually wrote an article or a blog about this forever ago and just never put it out. So I think uh, with the Winter Olympics going on right now and seeing how unbalanced uh, particularly women's hockey is, uh, might be a good time to, to drop it out there because honestly there's a lot of similarities in my mind here between America. We would dominate football. It obviously wouldn't be NFL players, but even with guys that have no shot, honestly, of making the NFL, we probably would still dominate football at the Olympics doesn't mean it can't be an Olympic sport. Yeah. So as we're talking about all these blog posts and everything, you can go find those at bdtfootball.com. Make sure to check us out. I have a couple of mock drafts up there too recently. So hey. check out the website. Um, we do have some coaching moves to talk about. Let's try to keep this rolling, man. We got a lot of stuff to get through. So uh, a couple of coordinator moves. The New York giants have just hired the, recently displaced Ravens defensive coordinator as now the Giants defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale. Uh, so got back on his feet pretty quickly there. Also, the same vein here, Steve Wilkes is now the secondary coach for the Carolina Panthers. Not too long ago, he was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals and most recently the defensive coordinator for the Missouri Tigers. Gross. Pretty Pretty crazy moves right there. Talk about being all over the place there, man. Like, yeah, I'm going to go be a head coach, and then I'm going to go be a defensive coordinator at the college level, and now I'm a secondary coach back in the NFL. That is, over the course of, what, three or four years now? That's right. kind of insane. Right, and I have to wonder if Steve Wilkes is going to get in on this Brian Flores lawsuit. 
because man, that kind of movement is not normal. And I, he only got one year in Arizona. Now we're seeing what Cleef Kingsbury is doing with basically what Wilkes set them up for. Well, basically, but there's one key difference there. I would take Kyle Murray over Josh Rose in 10 out of 10, like every time the opportunity came. That's kind of the situation is maybe they didn't have the personnel they wanted. They didn't like the personnel moves he was making. Granted, that's more of a GM function typically, but you never know. Um, that and maybe the offensive head coach was what, what the Cardinals needed. You don't know. That's, But you're right. I could see him joining in on that lawsuit. Speaking of that lawsuit, I guess we need to jump to the Miami Dolphins. They have a new defensive coordinator here. What do you got, Tug? Not new defensive coordinator. I absolutely love this. Uh, this is one thing I said when we fired Brian Flores, is as long as we can keep the defensive coordinator, keep some continuity on that defense, uh, it shouldn't be as bad of a transition. I know Brian Flores was the mastermind behind that defense, but Josh Boyer has been our defensive coordinator for his last two seasons when our defense was up at the top of its game. Right? So I'm 100% stoked, ecstatic, you name it, all of those joyous feelings I have right now that Josh Bear is staying on in Miami. Uh, and it, it, it does. It does the same thing Miami does to me every offseason, which is gives me hope and then takes it away in week two. Yeah, good luck with that hope. I, I think this year it might be dashed by the time we get to the NFL draft. So I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> we'll see what free I hope you're right. Here. Like, I hope my hope is gone that early. <laughs> Man, that's brutal. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about some fallout from the Washington Commanders? New name and new branding. Uh, I really hadn't heard much about this, but apparently – John Riggins is not happy. One of the legends of your franchise history. That's kind of brutal, man. He doesn't want to be associated with anything involving this new branding. Yeah, he's gone as far as having, uh, you know, he put out a complaint, said, I don't want my name on Commander's jerseys at all. And they're not, if you go look on Fanatics and NFL Shop, they're not there. He's gone out and said as well he said i am not a member of the washington commanders i was part of essentially a different franchise so <clears throat> it's interesting to see because there have been other players that have come out and been very receptive to the name change and he he even to his credit he said i'm not going to tell anybody how to feel like that's not my job that's not my position but this is how i feel and i don't want anything to do with it so what are you going to do I've seen this one before. I forget the player's name, and I'm really upset because I know he's super famous. But he still identifies with the Houston Oilers, not the Tennessee Titans. It's the very similar situation to that. Uh, yeah, I know. I blanked. On, I thought about it, and then I blanked on it. I know. I'm an absolute terrible human being, and I deserve to not be on the show right now. But <laughs> work with me here, guys. What a really great opportunity to plug what's coming up later in the show. Because the guy you're talking about happened to win an MNFL MVP award uh, by the name of Earl Campbell. That's okay. Uh, cool. Houston <laughs> Oilers legend, not Tennessee Titans legend. We will be seeing him in a new interesting segment coming up a while from now. We got some time. It'll be after we talk about Super Bowl stuff. Uh, so we got we got a minute. I was like, is it Earl Campbell? I believe it is, but I'm not oh, yeah. sure. So I'm just going to roll with it. Okay. 
I mean, I don't know that Warren Moon would want his name on the Titan stuff either, but I mean, for some yeah. reason, I for some reason I kept going back to Eddie George, and I was like, no, he was he was a Tennessee Titan, right? Like, right. So that's what threw me off. He's also the franchise's all-time leading rusher, even though Earl Campbell is part of that organization, technically. Anyway, let's go ahead and talk about uh, some new information regarding the Denver Broncos. They're looking for a new owner. It's officially on the market for sale. If you can scrape together a couple billion dollars, maybe they'll be yours. Uh, if anyone in the chat has that kind of money, we'd appreciate going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash football. <laughs> I will 100% use it to buy the Broncos. Don't worry. Right. 100%. Right. Denver Broncos time, presented by BDT Football. <laughs> at the same time, um, I didn't see this story at all. So it's all on you guys. What do we got with this? So I noticed this um, article I saw earlier today said Antonio Brown is now the president of operations at uh, Kanye's new sports agency, Donda Sports, which is apparently going to be like, everything apparel you know a bunch of different things oh, um, you really are white yeah it's, it's donda i was okay, about to I'm say sorry. it's donda <laughs> uh so not only does he have that job he then came out later today and go and, and starts mentioning because there's been articles out there about the nfl um you know approaching a bunch of minority investors saying hey can you guys buy the broncos so he's come out now and publicly said that the uh, Donda Sports is 100% interested in, in purchasing the Broncos. I don't know what their cash flow looks like. I kind of have my doubts if they have $4 billion hanging around, but hey, all power to them if they do. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that would be, be interesting. Certainly get some minority ownership. I know um, <laughs> Roger Dell's been lobbying for that specifically. So. Get Antonio Brown back in the... Uh... Back in the game, too. Man, that would be something else. So oh, if he's the president of the Broncos. If he's got an ownership stake, can he play? Why not? Why not? What's stopping Jerry Jones from playing? Probably bad knees and hips, but there is no rule saying he can't fucking play for the just, Dallas Cowboys tomorrow if he wanted to. I mean, it's fair. It's just a situation that's never come up, and I'm curious how that would shake out. The new starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos, Antonio Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Still slightly better than Drew Locke. Not, more than slightly better. <laughs> I would argue against that, but okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the whole reason the show is late, I guess it's time to go ahead and talk about the NFL awards, which happened on a Thursday night. I don't even know why. It's been the night before the Super Bowl for as long as I can remember, basically. And now... They just said, yeah, let's do it on Thursday for some reason. So that's cool, I guess. But we have a whole lot of awards to talk through. I'm going to run down these, and you guys just stop me whenever there's something you got, we want to talk about. I'm not going to really, I don't know, I'm not going to interject too much personally. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll start with uh, assistant coach of the year, Dan Quinn, uh, defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. And I think I got to stop you right there because we're okay. there's we a couple other hard. awards here that we're going to get to, and just look at the struggles Dallas had last year can be linked a lot to Dak Prescott going out, but that defense also didn't look good at all. And there's another award that went to a defensive player on the Cowboys that we'll get to, 
you have to give some credit to Dan Quinn. And then just their overall performance, obviously, you have to give a lot of credit to him there. I don't know that he will ever be a head coach again. I don't think he's a good head coach. I think he is a good defensive coordinator, though. I mean, we'll see about that. He had plenty of interviews this year and just ended up taking his own name out when he was named a finalist down a few of them. So he's probably going to be a coach here within a couple of years, a head coach here within a couple of years. And I guess that's a good transition into head coach of the year, Mike Vrabel, Tennessee Titans. You called this one, man. I'm going to shout you out on this one. Absolutely called it fantastic. And in a stellar year all the way around, honestly, for for Mike Vrabel, just couldn't piece it together in the uh, in the postseason on the run that the Bengals have been on. So a couple of the smaller awards that nobody really talks about, I guess, here. Uh, the NFL Fan of the Year, presented by Captain Morgan, by the way, uh, goes to a very old family who's been following the Atlanta Falcons for a very long time. Apparently, Henry Eisen and his family have been season ticket holders since the 70s and have gone to every game the entire time including at new orleans every year so that's really cool like that uh like that story um the courtyard unstoppable performance of the year goes to joe burrow and the cincinnati Bengals for knocking out the kansas city chiefs in the playoffs so that was truly sensational and the way you shut down those chiefs was the stuff of legend. Here's a here's an award for it. Pretty cool. And that's not uh, the only award Joe Burrow won either. Yeah, we'll get to that one later. It's a little bit higher on the tier list, but all right. <laughs> but we have first had to talk about the Bud Light Celly of the Year, celebration of the year, going to Christian Watkins, a defensive end for the Miami Dolphins. I'm sure you have something to say about this one, son. I, I was gonna say nothing beats a big man touchdown. Nothing beats a big man celebration. And that play all the way around was fantastic. I know that was probably one of the greatest plays of the year. And unfortunately it didn't count for a touchdown. Technically, I don't think, right? No, that was Robert Hunt. That other one. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. No, Christian Wilkins. Yeah. Christian Wilkins. Or yeah. Christian. It's Wilkins, not Watkins, by the way. Somebody typoed it, I guess. Anyway, Um, Wilkins. Yeah. Christian Wilkins at 300 plus pounds got out there and started doing the worm after jumping yeah. into the stands. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Award worthy for sure. Hope he gets a lifetime supply of Bud Light or something. That'd be, oh, that'd that'd be, be cool. amazing. Probably not. They probably don't love him that much. Um, <laughs> I guess let's go ahead and jump to the uh, Bridgestone clutch performance of the year going to Justin Tucker and his NFL record long field goal. Now 66 yards. Pretty incredible play. I got to hand it to him. It was was to beat the Lions, though. Like, come on. I know, but still. NFL record is cool. I mean, he could have given it to the rookie, Evan McPherson, who's kicked how many last second field goals in the playoffs alone? Yeah. I mean, you know. I don't know. (laughs) They kind of already did, right, with the courtyard unstoppable performance. But technically, that went to Joe Burrow and not the yeah. Cincinnati Bengals as a whole. Anyway, uh, FedEx Air and Ground Players of the Year. Of course, FedEx Air Player of the Year went to Tom Brady, who led the league in passing yards. And the FedEx Ground Player of the Year went to Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts for being sensational because he was sensational on the ground. Love to see it. 
I'm going to go ahead and say take note of these two players here, mostly the air player of the year, and I'll cover why later. Just take note that it's Tom Brady. Yeah, the, the league leader in all quarterback stats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, only one person who won multiple awards, and it was Joe Burrow. Yeah. So, We're not yeah, there yet. Yes. Hold up, man. Goodness. <laughs> I've said it. There. I've already said it. So, I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, the Deacon Jones Award goes to the statistical leader in sacks every year. So we already knew who it was going to be, but it was officially presented to TJ Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fantastic season for him. That was not the only hardware for him either, but you're not going to talk about that, are you? Only loving on Joe Burrow here. (laughs) Hey. And then we get to the tier of awards that I really appreciate more than anything. I know the, uh, the big AP awards are always going to be last, but this this realm of awards, the sportsmanship and community service awards are really impactful, and I appreciate that the NFL does this. So we're going to start with the Bart Starr Award, which goes to just the general all-around leadership and character in the community, on the field, everywhere. Uh, went to Russell Wilson, quarterback, CL Seahawks. They, these guys have to be nominated by their teammates and Russell Wilson winning this after winning Walter Payton Man of the Year already in the past. I mean, it's, yeah, he's a solid stand-up guy. He really is. Uh, the Salute to Service Award presented by USAA went to Denver Broncos tight end slash fullback Andrew Beck. Uh, with this, USAA and the NFL are going to donate $25,000 apiece to his charity of choice, which will probably be Freedom Service Dogs. Uh, he's worked with them quite a lot recently. And actually, every time he's been given the chance to wear special cleats, shouting out a different organization, it's been Freedom Service Dogs. He also has worked with the USO and Veterans Hospitals in Colorado and Volunteers of America, Colorado Branch, and the Wounded Warriors Project quite extensively. And... The Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award went to Matthew Slayer, special teamer up there in the New England Patriots. Uh, He's been around the league for quite a while as a special teamer, made the Pro Bowl pretty much every year in that respect as well. A captain of that team, even though he only appears on special teams and apparently a really nice guy to play with. And I, I respect that a lot. No, that's awesome. All, the, all those guys absolutely deserve those awards right there. And then the big one, the biggest one of all, Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award goes to Andrew Whitworth, big dude down there in the Super Bowl now. Left tackle for the Los Angeles Rams. What Andrew Whitworth has done with charity organizations in L.A. and even before that in Cincinnati was always sensational. He's been a perennial nominee for this award. But to finally receive it, I'm sure, is a pretty big deal to him and his foundation and his family. So it's really cool to see. Um, I love this award. It is, My favorite award. It is, it's unfortunate he's only going to get to wear the uh, Walter Payton Award on his jersey probably once because I can't right. imagine he's going to be back next year. Which is I not mean, to say that he wouldn't have the talent. I just don't see a 41-year-old right tackle in the NFL. I I'd love to see it. I I just don't see it. He he's still performing at a high level. I mean, how many years ago did we say that about a forty-five-year-old quarterback who then just led the league in 
passing yards and pretty much every other quarterback statistical category. Um, it's possible. You're right. I, I don't know what he's thinking. Judging by his speech last night, he still has the drive to play. So we'll see. Well, and I think we'll definitely see him around the league. I mean, the biggest story that's come out about Andrew Whitworth came out this week is that, you know, he was mentoring Joe Burrow through rehab. They rehab together. Yep. And, you know, a, a repaired knee for a, a quarterback's one thing, a repaired knee for a 40-year-old lineman. It's a very different thing. But the fact that the two of them have this bond, they were able to get better together, and now they're going to play against each other in the Super Bowl. That's just awesome. And, you know, I depending on how those conversations went, and Joe Burrow seems like a great guy to begin with, maybe one day we'll see Joe Burrow winning the uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Yeah. Certainly be on the lookout for it. Um, do have to mention the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. I'm not a big fan of this class, but it is what it is. Yawn. Uh, <laughs> talk about these guys anyway, I guess. Uh, Tony Baselli, the first ever draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? I mean. And the first ever Jacksonville Jaguars Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Uh, Leroy Butler. Invented the Lambeau Leap. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Uh, Sam Mills, who, yeah, he was pretty decent in his day, I guess. Uh, Richard Seymour was certainly an anchor of those championship squads for the Patriots. Bryant Young, who I'm going to be totally honest here, I didn't know existed until today. Um, that's my bad, I guess. But apparently he was pretty good for the 49ers. Good for you. <laughs> Cliff yeah. Branch. Uh, wide receiver for the Raiders back in the day. Back Got in, in by like when, the senior committee. Yeah, back in the day when wide receivers didn't put up any stats, apparently, because his stats are not impressive. Art McNally, uh, actual literal referee, got in the Hall of Fame. So that's cool, I guess. If you're First in referee game. in the Hall of Fame. And Dick Vermeil got in the Hall of Fame, even though he's barely above 500. And I mean, he did take two different franchises to a Super Bowl appearance, but at the same time, one one, he didn't like light the world on fire anywhere. So his his overall coaching record in the like just overall postseason regular season was just above five hundred. Yeah, and it was worse than Tom Flores, who I didn't think deserved to get in last year. And you know, admittedly, I said it multiple times. I thought Dick Vermeil was already in and then I looked at the numbers. I was like, well, that makes sense why he wasn't in. Right. But why is he in now? He wasn't even the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf. That was all Mike Martz. And he proved so it because the next two years right. they were in the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. So, I, I don't know. It's uh, there's nothing there's nothing to get excited about with this class, in my opinion. I will say there is something noteworthy to be the guy who completely rebuilds the team, right? To get two different franchises from basically nothing to Super Bowl appearances. And in the Rams case, a Super Bowl win that is special. At the same time, he didn't stick around long enough to really cement his place. Right. That's, that's what I would think if I were voting in the hall of fame, but I'm not a voter. So we kind of have to accept it for what it is. I'm sure there are several names that we can think of off the top of our heads and we already have to each other. But if we want to do that on live 
we certainly can. I mean, there's plenty of names that seem like they deserve to be in right now that didn't get a shot for whatever reason. I mean, Bryant Young, Cliff Branch over these guys doesn't sit well with me. When you have names like Torrey Holt, Zach Thomas, Devin Hester, just sitting there, they seem like they should be in. Why is Reggie Wayne not in right now? Reggie Wayne was infinitely better than Cliff Branch. Let's be the real. Fact that, the fact that Reggie Wayne didn't go in with Peyton Manning is right. a crime. Right. Like, I know. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, and it, it's not to say that because obviously Peyton Manning had a couple good years in Denver without Reggie Wayne. He didn't have Reggie Wayne at all. And, you know, his last season when he won that Super Bowl, that was all on the defense. Like, you know, let's just cover this. But Peyton Manning, when you think Peyton Manning and the Colts, you think of him throwing touchdown passes to Reggie Wayne. Right. When there's nobody else he passed to. It, we like you said, we could go on a, a whole slew here because Terrell Owens, I, I understand that <laughs> he pissed off the football writers or whoever votes for this. I forget who it is. I know he pissed them off some somehow fierce, and they just will not give it to him. And he he's another one. You're talking wide receivers there. Absolutely deserves to be in. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot of things we could say about the Hall of Fame. And Terrell Owens did get in, by the way. He is in the Hall of oh, Fame. Oh, he now. finally got in? It took a very long time. And I don't understand why it's taking anyone else that long. More of, I mean, more of the Terrell Owens uh, drama has come more recently about him not wanting to be involved with the Hall of Fame. Nah. Well, mostly because they snubbed him for so long, I think. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't I don't remember enough of it off the top of my head to really want to go into it, but it, I I know that's a very big part of it. I'm just saying, if next year we don't have Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis as first belt Hall of Famers, then we riot. I'm down. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to keep the island, Revis Island? How are you keeping that dude out of the Hall of Fame I know. The first ballot? I know. Come on. And like, and even to that to that extent, you know. Yeah, Devin Hester, we brought him up. He was first ballot. His first ballot, you know. It bodes well for him that he was a finalist first ballot as a returner. And I've seen a lot of people say it too. Like, And, you know, John, I know you want Zach Thomas in. Zach Thomas deserves to be in. That's a whole very different discussion. The arguments against Hester are actually pretty valid and pretty strong. He did one thing. And that's all he ever did. What a lot of people don't realize is how much not only he would he could change a game, but how much the game changed because of him. You know, we talked we've talked about it that the game has changed to help Tom Brady. The game changed to make it harder on Devin Hester, and he still returned three or four. You know? Well, and and it's not just that, right? Yes, he did one thing, but here's the thing: he didn't just do one thing. Okay, he did that one thing better than anybody else ever has and honestly probably ever will with the way right. the rules are changing like you're saying that is hall of fame worthy every and every I, way you slice that here's another thing and uh, maybe i'm crazy for this i would put josh cribs in the hall of fame as a returner too yeah. he was that good at that too and he was not as good as Devin hester so maybe i have completely different criteria than the hall of fame does but man there are some people who really seem to deserve a shot at Get that gold jacket. That and, just, I don't know that they will. And um, not to extend this before. this conversation longer, but the only thing that doesn't bode well for these guys that didn't get in this year is the classes over the next four or five years are 
only getting tougher. The first year ballot guys right. that are coming up are nuts. Like right. absolutely insane. Some of these guys that are going to be coming in. Well, I thought it was nuts when Andre Johnson became first ballot eligible this year and Devin Hester became eligible yeah. this year and they didn't even make it. So, and there was room for them. It's between four and eight selections. Why limit it? That's the only thing I don't get. Why limit it? <laughs> Why limit it in either direction, right? If there's nobody else, don't do it. But if it also seems like, you know, Cliff Branch was brought in by the senior committee. So they, they had to give one there and they had to give one to the coach. Like there's so much about this that just doesn't feel right. And it's, I don't know. Like I, I would almost rather them have not put anybody in. I'd rather be pissed off about that than upset about the guys that did get in. Cause a lot of these guys do deserve it. And I think the most disgusting thing to me is that Sam Mills passed in 2005 and it took you what I'm, I'm not good at quick public math. 17. Yeah. Took you 17 years to get him in. Are you kidding me right now? He was eligible at least one year before he passed. But magically, now is the time that you want to put him in. He deserves right. it. I'm not trying to take that away from him. But it's just, it, there's nothing about this class that gets me excited. And it, it honestly is just more frustrating to talk about and look at. And if you're going to do a senior member of this class, instead of Cliff Branch, why in the world would you not do Roger Craig? Yeah. Who sounds like he should be in the Hall of Fame already. Yeah. So... That's the reason for the senior committee in the first place is to correct the mistakes of the, you know, the limitations that they put on the modern day committee. And then they just didn't do it. So anyway, <laughs> that's enough complaining about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the biggest awards of the night. Those, uh, those ones that everybody talks about, right? Rookie, player, and MVP of the year, right? So we'll start with Defensive Rookie of the Year. Micah Parsons, of course, the first ever, though, unanimous defensive rookie of the year. That's pretty incredible, and it, it is what we expected. But at the same time, he more than deserved it. Hey, he and was unanimous is, with us, too. Yeah. This is what I was talking about earlier with Dan Quinn. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Dan Quinn for Micah Parsons winning this award. Micah Parsons is talented, no doubt. But they had to move him around a little bit for to be able to find his niche on that team and where he was going to be most effective. And that is ultimately why he ended up winning AP defensive rookie of the year. If they weren't able to do that, if they'd have just said, Oh, well, he's going to have to figure it out. He doesn't win this award. The only thing that I don't agree kind of where you just said is that's how you use Micah Parsons. He is that versatile all over the field kind of edge middle linebacker, outside linebacker. That's that's what he does. It's what he did at Penn State. He is your all over the field linebacker. So the fact that Dan Quinn recognized that and enabled him to do that, that's where that's fantastic. Absolutely. And he, you know, like I already said, he absolutely deserved the award. Oh, he was, he was in conversation for the defensive player of the year. Uh, didn't get that, though. Just rookie. Offensive rookie of the year. Again pretty universal selection here i don't know i don't believe he was unanimous but it was he should have been close <laughs> jamar chase wide receiver for the cincinnati Bengals. yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know if somebody put a vote out there for creed humphrey i'd have been okay with that i mean of course i would be too he ended up winning it for the big dudes in the trenches Thanks. but his playoff performance was whack so jamar chase it is 
<laughs> um, AP Defensive Player of the Year, presented by Castrol, because of course it is. Uh, TJ Watt, linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, sensational year for him. Kind of saw this coming, as in I don't know, week 14, week 15, everyone already had this locked into place, penned in, not just penciled in. Pretty sensational year for TJ Watt. Of course, led the league in sacks, as we already saw with the Deacon Jones Award, but led the league in a bunch of other things too, and he was flying off the edge. He tied the single-season NFL sack record too at 22 and a half. Yeah, and that half was questionable at best, but I guess so was the original well, 22 and a half. I was half. just going to say so. that. So was, so was the original. <laughs> Looking at you, uh, Michael Strahan and Brett Favre. Yeah. Anyway, AP Offensive Player of the Year, of course, presented by Microsoft Surface. Because Tom Brady? Would it not be? Well, no, Tom it is Brady. not Tom Brady. It's not a quarterback that at all. Hilarious, though. It's not a quarterback at all. It's the <laughs> Offensive Player of the Year that we selected, too, Cooper Cup, because, of course, of course it was. Why would it not be? Cooper Cup was sensational. Uh, he also won the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Player of the Year, which... I mean, we didn't talk about that one because why would we? That sounds yeah. stupid, and I don't care about it. But also, he won Offensive Player of the Year because, yeah, he was that good. And dang near cleared 2,000 yards receiving. That is so amazing. Close, man. That 2,000-yard season's coming. I don't know who's getting it, but that 2,000-yard season's coming. Right. You, you got to wonder if he'd have gotten 2,000 yards if he would have won MVP. He did get some votes, but... He wasn't quite there. Uh, one more before we get to that MVP. We had the AP Comeback Player of the Year. This was really split between two players, two different quarterbacks, but, of course, it did go to the Cincinnati Bengals' own Joe Burrow. Uh, Dak Prescott was close. He was pretty close to winning in this one. Understandably. Yeah. But at the same time, Joe Burrow did have a better season. And, I mean, yeah, I understand it. Yeah, Joe Burrow is going to the Super Bowl. That's where this decision was made. Like, I hate to say that, but it's 100% where this difference was made because they both had fantastic comeback seasons. Both deserve the award. So now you got to find where you differentiate them. And the answer is, well, this guy's going to the Super Bowl and the other guy's sitting on his couch. So, Do you have to have an injury to qualify for comeback player of the year? I don't believe so. Okay. So, obviously... Very tuned into Bears Twitter, Bears Media. There are a lot of people sitting there saying, how did Robert Quinn get no votes when he went from two sacks to 18 and a half? Setting a franchise record and being in the running for the sack leader a majority of the year. Was that an now, actual comeback, though? Or is that like most improved player kind of a thing? Yeah, and that's that's kind of what – that's why I posed it because I get where they're coming from. And if he, if he had had a Cleo Mack season – gets a couple sacks, looks like he's maybe heating up foot injury and he shuts down and then had this season, then, yeah, I totally would get on board with that. But even right. I was sitting there, I was like, I didn't know. If, first of all, I didn't know if an injury was a requirement. But second of all, I was just like, is that really a comeback? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if injury is written into the awards uh, documentation, but historically that's the way they go with it. Uh, well, and injury or not, comeback yeah. is written in the rule. So he played all last year and didn't do very mm -hmm. well. That's not the same as missing time. 
that's valid too. Yeah. So then we do have one award left to talk about, and I know it's your favorite player in the league, Bug. So very excited for you here. This one pisses me off. The most valuable player presented by Pizza Hut, Aaron Rodgers. All right. FedEx Air Player of the Year, Tom Brady, led every quarterback statistical category that you really could. So I'm going to go this way with it. Except for one. I don't Aaron think you Rogers, believe that. Aaron Rodgers threw fewer interceptions. Okay. You take both of these guys away from their team because that's what most valuable player is. The team does not get where it is without that quarterback. Who has the worst season? The Packers. You you actually think so? You did you watch that game with Jordan Love? That's been the over. I, like there's there's okay, a lot did, of people pissed off about this. I mean, did you see Kyle Trask play all year? Did you see Kyle Trask play all year? No, he didn't have to. Here's another thing. Here's another side argument, not even related to these two. Forget these two. Let's talk about most valuable player. What about Ryan Tannehill this season? We're talking about regular season MVP. Holy cow, how did the Titans make the number one seed in playoffs without Derrick Henry? Well, enter Ryan Tannehill. So I and I, know. I you know, this I is this is there this at is least why... should have been more discussion about this. And it felt like Aaron Rodgers was handed the award by default, and I don't know why. And, and, and this that's is why, what's frustrating me. This right. is why wide receivers don't really get a lot of consideration for player of the or MVP because somebody has to throw them the ball. Where is Matt Stafford in this conversation, too? And and well, you know, right. don't get me wrong, I don't think Matt Stafford's an MVP. And maybe maybe it's Matt Stafford's name and his career thus far that that is an overwhelming opinion, I think, that Matt Stafford is not an MVP. But he certainly deserves to be in the conversation if you Well, know, he would have been if he didn't start throwing a whole bunch of picks and go 0 and four in November. Right? That's that November really knocked him out of this race. At the same time, it's not like Aaron Rodgers really had that kind of a month where it supplanted somebody as the MVP favorite. He was neck and neck with a bunch of different guys all through the season. Mm-hmm. It's just. I'm also going to come at know. it this way too. Where's Jonathan Taylor on this? There's no way the Colts right. win the games they do without Jonathan Taylor. Right. Where's, um? Oh, I just had him too. Where's TJ Watt on this list? Right. Why? You tell me. That... the MVP to a defensive player. Why not? Where's that written? He is the most valuable player on that team. Uh, it's not written. They're just not league. going to do it. Why not? He's getting 22 and a half sacks. He's making the headlines. Because Why are we NFL... afraid of awarding these things to people who have actually earned it and not just giving it to the same guy that we've given it to five times? Well, because Aaron Rodgers' dick is all the way past. Do you want to actually talk about it for real right now? Live? you want to do that for real? Because I have ahead. an answer for you. Money. Money. Who's going to be most marketable right now? Aaron Rodgers. Who's going to sell the most jerseys right now? Aaron Rodgers. You think TJ Watt's selling all those jerseys around the world? TJ Watt's selling those jerseys in Pennsylvania, not around the world. Aaron Rodgers is. You think Tom Brady's doing that? He's already done that. He's done that already and is retiring. So they're getting rid of him, supplanting him with the moneymaker, Aaron Rodgers. That's the real conversation right now. Cooper Cup's not going to be making that kind of money for the NFL. He's not going to be making that kind of money for the AP. Then why not Joe Burrow? Then why not Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow doesn't have a real conversation with the stats. You find a guy with the stats that are close enough, and you give it to the guy who's going to make you the most money. Ryan Tannehill's not making you that money. Tom Brady is retiring. He's not making you that money. 
Aaron Rodgers is. That's the reason these things happen. When I have the real conversation about it, TJ Watt's never getting that award. I just, I, I hate it because there are players that have actually earned it. And right, we have, I agree with you. And, and we have absolutely it. crapped all over the meaning of the award right. for money. Right. And it absolutely sucks. I agree with you. But at the same time, we have a back-to-back MVP, I guess, in Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Um, yeah. So at the same time all this was going on, the NFL honors whatever, the NFLPA had their own award ceremony and gave the Allen Page Community Award to Philadelphia Eagles safety Rodney McLeod. This is very similar to those other service awards that we've talked about with the NFL honors, but this one is given by the NFLPA itself, the Players Association, and the Players Association will be giving $100,000 to McLeod's foundation change for our future. That's pretty sensational. Love to see that kind of thing. And I also want to know why the NFLPA is giving more money than the NFL itself. That seems really distorted to me. Because the NFL is sponsored by USAA. So it's not the NFL giving right. that money. It's USA saying, I'm willing to give you this much to give this award out, which drives yeah. on what I was saying before we even started recording. Right. And drives some of your point about the oh yeah, the money here. I hate that all of these awards have sponsors. Oh, yeah. There's no reason for it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's really gross. And I yeah. But we talked about it, so there it is. <laughs> NFL honors is really gross. Rodney, yeah, you know, you know what Rodney McLeod recently did, like a couple weeks ago, right? I saw this after we recorded a show, and I meant to slide it in somewhere, but since he's come up here, there's a young Eagles fan that lost her father and her grandfather within the same year. I don't want to say a couple months. What I read said the same year, so within a year, she lost her father and grandfather. And her mom reached out to his organization and he took yep. her to a daddy daughter dance. I saw that too. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I wish that's the kind of thing the NFL honors would recognize too. But instead we get Aaron Rodgers as MVP. So thanks pizza Hut, for that award. Appreciate it. <laughs> Your pizza's okay. Anyway, it's not okay. It really kind of sucks. <laughs> You're real. That's like D tier pizza. Everybody yeah, else pizzas the hut. It's available. <laughs> Let's get out of the NFL. Forget this mess. Here's what do you a, got, here's, bug? Yeah, here's a little palate cleanser. Quick, uh, <laughs> quick hitter here, and then uh, we got a little college news, and then what everybody's here for. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl here momentarily, but we've talked about the uh, NF teams in the FCF. Well. The mint happened, the vote happened, and we have four new names for teams in the FCF. Uh, if you've paid any attention, there's been you know a lot of talk about these ownership groups as far as the NFT teams go, and uh, the names were not very creative. Uh, they're pretty much just paying homage to the ownership groups, which is fine. I'm not going to sit here and, and complain about it too much, but... Yeah, it is what it is. We got the Board Apes Football Club. Board Apes Yacht Club was one of the uh, NFT creators that helped with the Ballers Collective and invested to be team owners. 
you got the kingpins. This was the only one that I think was uh, different uh, and away from what their NFT holders was, uh, you know, the brand. Uh, I, th- I believe this was the Gutter Cats brand uh, ownership group that got the kingpins name. Then you got Eight, o- Eight Oaky Football Club. Yep, that's Steve Aoki and his uh, NFT group there. Really, really interesting. And then uh, the Knights of Deegan, which I, again, believe is just the name of the NFT group. But to be fair, Knights of Deegan, that's not a terrible name. And it's on brand with just being fun and light. And it'll be fun to see a Knights of Deegan football team. That'll be interesting, right? Only one way to find out. To watch the FCF this coming spring. (laughs) Very true. What what I think is funny, though, is I legitimately feel like Knights of Deegan is the best of the four of them. And it's by far the least creative. <laughs> like they just said, "Hey, I, Knights of Deegan own the team. We'll just call the team Knights of Deegan." Not you know, whatever. I like the Kingpins personally. I don't like any of them. The NF teams is terrible. I hate it. Well, if you if you want to get involved with any of these teams, you got to buy a Ballish Collective NFT. So have fun yeah. figuring out the blockchain, everybody. Well, speaking of NFTs, do you see what Panini did with the Reese's Senior Bowl? Pretty incredible. Pretty and, you incredible. know, I, I I can sit here and shit on NFTs all day. I have no problem doing it. But for the people that understand it and for the people that are interested in it, uh, especially these uh, Senior Bowl guys, man, it's a, it's a big deal. A lot of them are pretty hype about it. Yeah, so every single participant in the Senior Bowl got their own personalized minted NFT made by Panini. Uh, last two years, Panini has partnered with the Reese's Senior Bowl to give the players their own individual, actual physical trading cards. But now it's all digital. It's all NFTs. So that's really cool. And hey, maybe if, for example, I don't know, Kenny Pickett goes and lights the league up next year, might be really worth something. So kind of cool. Pretty interesting concept. I like it a I lot. I know. I know specifically Calvin Austin the third was very, very hyped excited. about getting his own NFT. <laughs> very excited. <laughs> More excited than most. <laughs> but he heard about it and he just started running around trying to find the Panini dudes from what I've seen. Like it's it was pretty funny. That's awesome. Uh some some other interesting moves here. We got some coordinator hires for college football. Uh like to keep on top of these, especially for power five programs at least. Um, the team up north has a new defensive coordinator. Of course, they lost their D.C. to the Baltimore Ravens, but now they hired away Jesse Minter from Vanderbilt, former defensive coordinator over there. So interesting move. See how that works out for him. Definitely a promotion. Uh, but Vanderbilt has promoted somebody intern from in-house. Uh, their own assistant coach, Nick Howell, is now the defensive coordinator there at Vanderbilt. Nice little transition of power there, I guess. Yep. See how that works out for Vanderbilt, too. I mean, I'm not convinced of either of these hires yet. We'll have to see how they actually perform in their new locations. Uh, and Maryland has a new defensive coordinator as well in Brian Williams, who was a Maryland assistant for the last couple of years in <sighs> very different roles each year. So he has coached linebackers. He has coached defensive line. He has coached secondary in each year. So we'll see if he can bring it all together and coach the entire defense. Fair enough. I think I think you missed one from that team up north there, buddy. 
Yeah, uh, I want to stick on the defensive side of the ball first. But okay, I'm sorry. Offensive coordinators. We have two co-offensive coordinators for the team up north trying to replace Gaddis, who left for the University of Miami. Uh, but they now have co-offensive coordinators in Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss. Moore was their offensive line coach, and Weiss was their quarterback's coach. So both of them getting promoted to co-offensive coordinator roles. I hate that. I hate co-offensive coordinators. I hate co-coordinators at all. The, you can't run a kitchen with two chefs. That's my personal opinion. We'll see how it works out for this program. It. I just went through a year of it. It's trash. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could have cautioned them against making this mistake, but here we are. Um, well, there's no way this goes wait. well. So there's that. <laughs> um, let's talk about conferences here for a second. First interesting piece here. The SEC has released their revenue for this past season. <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty incredible. Uh, it's a lot of money. Let's just let's say that. Just means more. It just means more. It, uh, that's that now makes sense. It just means more money. Yeah, fifty-five million dollars per school payout after this past season. Um, wow, that's a lot. That's way more than anybody else does. For comparison, let's think like the Mountain West does about seven million a year per school, and that's really good. So. Fifty-five million per year to be in the SEC. Um, no wonder Texas and Oklahoma are jumping ship from the Big Twelve. <laughs> what did they Long do this year? Don't pay that well. Uh, Big Twelve is right around thirty, which is still pretty good for even a P five. So yeah, I mean the Big Ten was supposed to be the top dog, and they were breaking in like forty-eight upper forties. The SEC just blew past them before even signing the ESPN deal, the new new Disney contract. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with this revenue. But this is wild. This is a lot of money. I think the only other uh, college football story that I can think of, since we're talking about the SEC, y'all remember uh, Sarah Fuller, the soccer player from Vanderbilt yeah. that ended up kicking yeah. in the, uh, the meaningless game against shit. I don't even remember who they were playing. <laughs> I missed. Yeah. <clears throat> I no, thought she, she made it. She made one of two. Okay. She missed one. She hit one. You're both right. 50% more than I've ever kicked. Right. Um, more than I ever will. Right. But she has a, she signed a professional soccer contract as a goalie, which was her position at Vanderbilt. And then I think she, I think I read somewhere she even transferred to North Texas at one point as a grad student or something. Either way, uh, she'll be playing for Minnesota Aurora FC in the new USLW League. Uh, the league launches in May. If you're interested in women's soccer, you'll find a uh, familiar familiar football name uh, playing for Minnesota Aurora FC. It's pretty cool, but let's not talk about the SEC because SEC is gross. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one other thing I wanted to talk about with college football news. So we know all of the realignment talks have been happening. We also know that a lot of these moves that are discussed this year will end up happening like three, four years down the line. That's the way realignment works. That's the way TV contracts work. You have to give so much notice before you're allowed to really move. 
uh, apparently between Conference USA and the Sun Belt, they're just disregarding those rules. And Marshall, <laughs> Old Dominion, and Southern Miss are all trying to get out of Conference USA and into the Sun Belt ahead of next football season. That would mean they're trying to get in this summer. Um, that is definitely breaking the CUSA agreement. <laughs> so we'll see what Conference USA has to say about all that. But at the same time, the Sun Belt has to be absolutely loving this. And it's, I'm kind of loving it too because the Fun Belt is way better anyway. <laughs> oh, big facts. And and honestly, I can only imagine this is kind of like what Oklahoma and uh, Texas are going to end up paying for their exit fee from the Big 12 if they do leave early. Just this will be significantly less. This will be like change for these schools because let's be real, the Conference USA doesn't have that much draw to it. Well, what I found interesting is we're talking about Conference USA. I saw something, just kind of scrolled past it. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Apparently, Conference USA reached out to North Dakota State, and North Dakota State said, fuck no. Right. It's uh, Conference Again, USA we, needs to die. We've We've said this before. You can't just approach North Dakota State. You need to take them and their rivals with them if you're going to try and move them up to the FBS. And frankly, yeah. there's no reason for them to right now. They're, they're sitting on an actual NCAA national championships. They're the highest rated program in the FCS right now. Why, why would they leave? Uh, scholarship limits and money, money. If they make more it's money, always money. Yeah. But, but are they going to make more money moving up a division or are they going to make more money where they are now with the payouts from the NCAA for actually winning? They'll make more money moving up a division. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. You don't even shake your head or laugh at that. They will make 10 times as much if they move up right now. Literally not kidding you. Everyone hears about college football. They think about the FPS level schools. I guarantee you a vast majority of college football fans do not know about North Dakota State existing right now. They would if they were in the FBS. Um, yes, they will make a lot more money if they move up. The reason they wouldn't right now is twofold. They don't have a stadium for it. They don't have the facilities for it, right? They also don't have any geographic neighbors who are in the FBS. So like what you were saying right there, they need to bring up, along with North Dakota State, really they need to bring up North Dakota, South Dakota State, South Dakota. Let's bring up Northern Iowa. Let's bring Montana. up Montana. Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington. Let's bring up everybody. The entire else. Missouri Valley. The entire Missouri Valley. Not as well. And also. Big Sky, right? That would be the real way to do that. Yeah. Uh, because Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington, all them are Big Sky. So we, we very well could be heading that direction if we're being We honest. very well could be because they really are separating themselves, especially with James Madison, Sam Houston, and Jacksonville State all going ahead and leaving for the FBS anyway. Really, you're going to be dominated by the Missouri Valley and Big Sky yep. for the foreseeable future. I mean, the top 25 is going to be nothing. You'll, you'll have Sam Houston right. State still hanging around for a couple more years, I imagine. Well, but... they're going to the FBS already. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's, it's not going to be long before that's not going to matter. And yes, it's really cool to win nine national titles in the last 11 years. And that's that's awesome. But at the same time, you will triple your money tomorrow if you called yourself an FBS team. You will expand your athletic department budget. You'll expand your TV reach. You'll expand everything. And 
that will happen. It's just a matter of when, and the when is not right now. So I understand just saying no to Conference USA. I would too. I would yeah, want yeah. to see if we can move up the entire Missouri Valley Conference before I did that. Even so, even tripling their money going into the Conference USA doesn't make any sense because their travel right. is going to be worse than it is in the Missouri Valley. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, there's a lot of reasons to say no to that deal, but moving up to FBS in general, it has yeah. to happen at some point. I mean, why would it not be the whole Missouri Valley, too? I mean, Youngstown State was ready 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all and, sorts of moves need to happen there to balance some things out. So, and Western Kentucky was the only one that was able to get out. Right. So, right. The biggest, the biggest thing down there too, though, is they need to get the money to their schools to upgrade mostly their stadiums. There's, there's a few stadiums in the specifically Missouri Valley that have the capacity limits for FBS. Right. North Dakota State, UNI, those are the ones that are going to hold you back. And they, and the problem with them, UNI specifically is that they can't add seats in there. I think there's room right. to add at the Fargo Dome, but UNI does not have the room in that dome. And some of them technically meet the requirements, but also are so far short of what the average number of yeah. is for FBS level that you basically need to build new facilities all around. Yep. Now, there are past instances of teams and schools taking loans on future athletic department revenue in order to do that. Enter Maryland Rutgers, right? That's the reason they're still in debt trying to join the Big Ten. They do get better payoffs right now, but all of that money is going to the people who helped them build the nice new shiny facilities. Yeah. So there there have been examples of that in the past. I would expect that a school like North Dakota State want to upgrade the facilities first. And whatever money they make at the FCS level, I'm sure is being poured into that. Yeah. But it's nowhere near the money they would make if they went to the FBS, not even close, but Marshall Old Dominion, Southern Miss going to the fun belt early. Nice to see. <laughs> That's the real story. Don't blame, don't blame <laughs> them at all. I don't blame them either, man. I would want to play Coastal Carolina instead of, I don't know, UAB. Anybody else? Yeah. Right. Right. But hey, it's about that time for you to get your, uh, your potty, potty break. And it's about that time for us to start talking about the Super Bowl. So, John, we're going to take it here, you and me, solo yep. for a little bit. And, uh, man, I, I think the best way to look at this, we're going to start off, we're going to talk about the Bengals. We're talking about the AFC team here, breaking down offense, defense, special teams. And really, when I say special teams, I'm just really talking about Evan McPherson. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> and we'll do the same for the Rams. And, again, their special teams really comes down to Matt Gay. They still have Johnny uh, Hecker, don't they? Punting, probably. Yeah. Probably. But I, we'll, I say the way we do this, buddy, you take the Bengals, I'll take the Rams, we'll come back for the edge. Works for me. So, going through the offense, you know, obviously it's got to start – it starts and ends with Joe Burrow in a lot of ways, right? Man gets sacked nine times against the Titans, still able to keep his team in the game and – you know, we'll talk about Evan McPherson later, but he ends up ultimately winning it for him. 
pretty sure his blood is literally ice water because there's no reason that a second year pro quarterback who missed all of last year practically with an ACL tear should be that calm when he's getting hit that many times. Joe Burrow is an absolute game changer for the Cincinnati Bengals. Another Joe on this offense, Joe Mixon, is an extremely underrated piece on this offense. I've been saying it pretty much all year. Yeah. The reason I say that, and I'll come back to the receiving core here in a little bit, but the reason I say that is this old line is atrocious. You cannot let your quarterback get hit that many times. You can't let them get you can't let them get sacked nine times and expect to win a game. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon have absolutely bailed them out. Because Joe Mixon is able to get out of the backfield, because Joe Mixon is able to have runs for positive gain, you can't just completely commit to the pass rush. You have to respect the fact that he might be able to run over you a little bit. And ultimately, even taking nine sacks, it does give Joe Burrow on that offense enough time to be able to do something. I know Cam Akers is on the Rams, but I got to imagine Joe Mixon's numbers would be a lot more comparable to what we expect and see from Cam Akers in full seasons if he had a better line to run behind. I mentioned the receiving core here. Obviously, led by Offensive Rookie of the Year, Jamar Chase. But C.J. Uzama, who has said he wouldn't miss the Super Bowl for the world, even though he is still listed as questionable in the injury report, he's a secret weapon. He's always ready to go off. He's always capable of going off. So you never know what's going to happen there. And, yeah, he's probably still going to be dealing with some lingering injuries there. But if he's ready and able to go, man, you got to watch out for him. You, of course, can't forget Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Both those guys have game-breaking speed and excellent hands. They were solid all year as well. But there's so many guys for Burrow to throw to. That's really why, again, kind of disproves the point of the show. But even without an offensive line, he was able to get it done because he had literally everybody and anybody to throw to. A lot like the situation we saw with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. It's pretty easy to be a quarterback with that type of receiving core, right? Hold on one second. All right. This offense, man, it's it's dangerous, right? Obviously, I already said it. The O-line's an absolute liability. You look at this defense, there's nothing, nothing really moves the needle about them. They're consistent, though. And that's all you can really ask for and all you can really want, especially at this point in the season. Look at the two big matchups that everybody's going to be looking at this week. Apple and Awuzie. They're going to have their hands full because the Rams have quite a receiving core as well, obviously led by the Offensive Player of the Year, Cooper Cup. As long as Matt Stafford doesn't revert to throwing six, seven, eight picks a game, they should be buzzing pretty good. And that Bengals secondary is going to have their hands full. Last but not least, I said I would talk about him earlier. Talking about him now. Evan McPherson. To turn around at 21 years old as you're running onto the field and say, looks like we're going to the AFC Championship. Him and Joe Burrow have the same blood type. Absolute ice water. 
I I want you to talk about the Rams before I have kind of my big overarching comment specifically about these two kickers, this kicker matchup. Suffice to say right now, though, if you told me I had to take one of these two kickers, Evan McPherson or Matt Gay, I'm taking Evan McPherson 100 times out of 100. Oh, no, that's that's 100% valid. That's that's where I'd lean to. Uh, but let me break this down kind of the same way. We'll go offense, defense, special teams. Offensively, quarterback position, you got Matt Stafford. The dude knows how to handle himself on the football field. He's a an experienced vet, well-aged, some might say, in the, in the uh, issues uh, that is Detroit. He knows what he's doing. However, this is a new stage for him. So that kind of wipes the slate for me between Joe Burrow and, and Matt Stafford here. This is both of their first time in this game. You don't exactly know how they're going to respond to it. Both have proven that they can play in big-time games. Both are absolute studs at the quarterback position. But when you're talking experience in this moment, it doesn't matter. Looking at the, the Rams running back room, man, they got their guy back at the right time. And I cannot say this enough. Coming back from an Achilles injury four and a half months later is absolutely mind-blowing. I, I don't know how Cam Akers did it. He's done it. He's been running well the entire postseason. This could be a game changer in this game, having Cam Akers in a fresh Cam Akers because he still doesn't have that many miles on him this year because he was down for most of the season. Looking at the the Rams wide receivers, I mean, this is an absolutely star-studded wide receiving core that Matt Stafford has to play with. Uh, offense player of the year, you were saying it, Cooper Cup. There is a chemistry between Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford that is undeniable, and you can see it on the field. Uh, Cooper Cup seems to be Matt Stafford, always seems to be Matt Stafford's first read, and he typically finds a way to get open. That's exactly what you're looking for. You have OBJ. You, My issue with OBJ, fantastic wide receiver, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him every game. It's, it, it changes game in, game out, what OBJ you get. I can only think that he's been waiting his entire life for this, so he's going to show up in the Super Bowl. And then Van Jefferson is a solid number three out there. And then you've got your reliable tight end in Tyler Higby. Fantastic wide receiving core. Tyler Higby is officially listed as out. Is he out now? Okay. Uh, yeah, according to the injury report here. So so that's going to hurt them there. Um, that's a tough, tough loss. Man, they still have a lot of star power on that in that wide receiver core. And then their their offensive line is led by Walter Payne, Man of the Year, and uh, Andrew Whitworth. Absolutely fantastic. This unit holds itself game in and game out, and they do their best to protect Matt Stafford. Defensively, the scariest thing out there is their front seven. Is Von Miller I, – I haven't seen the injury report. Is Von Miller actually in on this game? Von Miller is – he's good. He's good to go. So Cool. Currently, according to NFL.com, we have Tyler Higby and Joseph Notebottom out for the Rams. CJ Uzama is listed as questionable for the Bengals. Cool. So, Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, 
man, I can only think they're that all three of them are going to eat against this Bengals offensive line. That's absolutely a scary situation for Joe Burrow. But like you said, man's got ice water. And in big, honestly, with the, how big this situation is, that's where Aaron Donald performs the best. And then looking at the secondary, you have Jalen Ramsey, who's going to be covering Chase all day. My concern here is Jalen Ramsey, fantastic corner. Fantastic at bagging the ball away, but he's not really known for creating those turnovers. He's not an interception machine. He does lock you down, does make it tough for you to catch, but he's not the one that's going to take the ball and head the other way with it. And in special teams, Matt Gay, honestly, he is a great kicker overall. He's had an okay year, some consistency, some inconsistencies, some bad misses. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be what it is. So I'll say this. Looking at giving an edge to teams, right? Doug, welcome back. Thank you. Looking at giving an edge to teams on the offense. I don't think we can call ourselves big dudes in the trenches if we don't give the edge to the Rams solely because of that offensive line. That is the one thing that makes them a more complete unit because otherwise, I do think I give a little bit of an edge to the Bengals. I'm not going to lie to you there. What are, how do you, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I feel like that's not a controversial take. I feel like that's a pretty solid, uh, you know, for sure slam dunk there. No, I, I think you're spot on with that. The only thing I'm kind of debating is if I would give this to the Bengals even if they had an average offensive line, I'm, uh, that's where I'm on the fence with it. If wow. the Bengals, uh, just what I'm seeing, like, I don't know. Running back, yes, I give it to the Bengals. Quarterback, I give it to the Rams right now. Uh, Joe Burrow is in his second year in the league. And also, Matt Stafford is amazing, and everyone seems to forget that all the time for some reason, somehow. Cooper Cup just won Offensive Player of the Year, and you're saying the Bengals have better weapons? Yeah, Jamar Chase is Offensive Rookie of the Year. Cooper Cup is Offensive Player of the Year. And then they added freaking Odell Beckham Jr. What? Are you freaking kidding me? Tight ends a wash. Who gives a rip about the tight ends? Because tight ends barely exist in this game, seems like. But let's be real, dude. Wide receivers, I'm giving it to the Rams. Quarterback, I'm giving it to the Rams. Offensive line, I'm giving it to the Rams. Running back, sure, Joe Mixon's better than Cam Akers right now. But on an even playing field, and Cam Akers weren't recently touring, tearing his ACL, yeah, I'd say that's even too. I mean, golly, Rams' offense is amazing. It sounds like you guys are shitting on them. Golly. <laughs> I feel like you just took that way out of context. Dude, you're saying the Bengals are better. Uh, it's, they're not. Rams are the better team. Feels to me like by a lot. Rams, I, Bengals I, have a ton of holes right now. I don't know how they made it this far. To be honest with you, some of their players have really stepped up in a huge way. The Rams have been here. They have the experience. This team specifically, no. This team as a unit right now, some of their pieces have not been to the Super Bowl before. They've been in the league a long time. They know how this game works, and they are really fucking good at it. I think defense is a no-brainer. It's the Rams, right? Oh, 100%. You kind of glossed over their front seven here. Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, and Leonard Floyd. These guys are not going to get tired. 
And when a big situation comes up, Aaron Donald's just going to slide inside. And there's nothing you can do to stop that, especially not with that Bengals offensive line. Like there, you don't even, you don't even have to talk about comparing the secondaries because Joe Burrow is going to be on his back so much. It doesn't really matter that much. And Matt Stafford, I mean, there's, I think that's the biggest thing about the Bengals on defense too. Like I said earlier, they're consistent. There is nothing wowing about them at all. And I can't even really say they're consistent. I think the Chiefs really just shot themselves in the foot last, you know, in the championship game. There's no reason that they shouldn't, they should have only put up three points in the entire second half of that game. So they did that in their season matchup too. They had a big lead going into. I know. Yeah. Even if the Chiefs hadn't shot themselves in the foot and we're talking about Rams Chiefs, I don't know which offense I'd give this to either, though. So I'm, I'm saying the Rams are that good right now. And I, all the money has been on the Bengals. All the conversation has been on the Bengals. They're the upstart team. Everyone's loving on them. Win this one for Harambe. Thanks, Sam Hubbard. <laughs> okay. The Rams are the better team. Yeah. No, I... I think the Bengals are the team everybody wants to win. I think the Rams are the team everybody truly thinks are going to win. I think the only place you give an edge to special teams, and I only do this because really when I, we, the way we've talked about special teams has been the kicker because the rest of the special teams is pretty much a wash. It really does come down to Matt Gay versus Evan McPherson. Everything should tell you to go Matt Gay because you've got a rookie kicker and you're going to put him in a high-pressure situation. But the way he's already responded to that, Right. Add in that Matt Gay has missed a couple field goals. Stuff like that does eventually come back to bite you. You you just you can't have that, right? I it makes me nervous if I'm depend if I if the game comes down to a kick and you say I want Evan McPherson kicking that ball. Yeah, I if I'm if the game's coming down to a kick, I don't care what team I am, I would rather have Evan McPherson in there than Matt Gay. Because I don't know, I don't want to put it in the hands or on the foot of the dude that has been spotty and inconsistent at times, right? That game against Tampa Bay, there should have been no need for him to kick a game-winning field goal. They should have been up an extra possession if he'd have kicked one five minutes earlier. I agree. That's the one spot the Bengals have. And it's even that's kind of shaky because Evan McPherson is a rookie. Right. This environment's different. It is, it is different. I mean, and I, I, I do I, get what ideal you're... kicking situation for either team. Be they have, they have Justin Tucker. That's not going to happen. So yeah. make do with what you I, got. <laughs> I do get what you're saying about the offense being light years ahead. I really do think it comes down to just the offensive lines, though. It, yes, to Cooper me, it's Cup, more it's more about experience and the skill positions. Ab- absolutely, the Bengals I, are very young, and I respect that. But at the same time, give them five years before I fear them. I respect them. I don't fear them the way that I fear Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. right now behind Matthew Stafford. I, and I, I think that's afraid fair. to face that. I think that's fair. But at, at the same time, that's where I'm coming from. It's just that I don't think the talent gap is that wide. Right. And I don't think when you, especially as you go further on in their careers, I think Cooper Cup, we found a gem that everybody, you know, smarter football guys knew was there and just wasn't working with Jared Goff. OBJ, obviously. But look at what uh, Jamar Chase has been able to do. And then you can't forget about T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd. They've got a more traditional setup with how their wide receivers are stacked up. 
but then again, you know, CJ Uzama being back for this, yeah, tight end is really kind of a wash here. Because if you put CJ Uzama and Tyler Higby in front of somebody and be like, okay, yeah, sure, I whichever, I don't care. But the thing is, availability is the best ability right now. And Tyler Higby is not available. He is currently listed as out. So, but also in the immortal words of Fort Minor, this is only 20% skill. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I'm going to roll was... that into my pick here because, Doug, I agree with everything you said, right? If I'm looking at this on paper, the Rams are the best team. Here's the problem with that. Every team the Bengals have played except the Steelers in the postseason has on paper been the better team. And they've gone into their house and they've handled their business on a last-second kick, three, uh, two of their three wins so far. That doesn't change here. They are going into the Rams' house to go handle their business. That is what is about to go down, Right. I have picked against the Bengals enough this postseason and been wrong every single time I've picked them. I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them the wave here. I'm gonna give them the nod. And and I think it's because of what you said. Most people are respecting the Bengals offense right now. Most people are thinking, oh, if I just go out there and sack Joe Burrow, we're gonna win this game. Which for some reason almost always works, and Joe Burrow is the lone reason that sacking a quarterback nine times in a game results in a loss um i don't i don't know what it is yes i think aaron donald's gonna eat this game joe burrow is gonna get very familiar with aaron donald's chest plate like it that's what's gonna happen i wouldn't even put aaron donald outside i'd put him right over the center and tell him to rush up the middle it's the quickest way to the quarterback every single time but for some reason somehow the Bengals continuously pull this out and i don't see that stopping them this time I'm going to take Bengals 31-28. I mean, okay. Well, I was passionate. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Here's my thinking. Um, we've already talked about this on this show, so I'm just going to keep it rolling with my NFL cynicism. Uh, I, I think everything the NFL does is for money, and right now a lot of the money is on the Bengals, even against the odds. Uh, there's no way Vegas allows themselves to lose this badly. Uh, the Rams will win because they can't afford to make the Rams not to win. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say it's not even that close. It's going to be separated enough that Vegas isn't even sweating. We're going to make sure they cover the spread and then some. We're going to go 34 21 Rams here. And even with that, the narrative still sticks, you know. Joe Burrow still the the quarterback of the future. He's your Tom Brady replacement now that Tom Brady's retired. He can still be that. This is Rocky one for Joe Burrow. This isn't this you, isn't the end of the road. You know how right? you become the Tom Brady replacement? You start winning you, them. You win the super your first Super Bowl against the Rams. <laughs> I mean against these Rams. Yeah, the sure. St. Louis version, not the LA version. <laughs> Sure, but you know that the difference was the money was not on the Patriots in that Super Bowl. The money is not. <laughs> Follow the money, man. Follow <laughs> the money. Rams are winning. Man, I, I'm i torn with what I, I want to happen and what I think will happen. And ultimately, the premise of this show is that you can't win 
you can't be a successful team without a good offensive line. And as much as I can sit here and say Matt Gay and his inconsistency, I do think will and or can and will bite the Rams in the ass at some point. I don't know if the Super Bowl is going to be it because the offensive line for the Bengals are far more inconsistent. And it really, for me, does come down to the fact that they're going to have to try and stop Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, and the rest of that front seven for 60 minutes. They're not going to be able to do it. I I, I do legitimately think these offenses are equal. Like I get what you're saying. I really do. Age and wisdom are great. Youth and lack of fear, just as good, right? I am, however, going to go with the Rams. I don't know that I'm going 34-21. I think it's probably going to be, what, 31-21. We'll get a 10-point 10 10 victory there. Matt Gay will actually hit that, uh, that earlier field goal, and the Rams will get a, a bonus touchdown just to, to sprinkle in some extra – or miss Extra one that play. I had in Macon, I guess. <laughs> Something, man. I mean, I it, it does pain me to say. It does pain me to say because I, I do want the Bengals to win. I want them to get their first ever Super Bowl victory here. I don't want to see another team win on their home field. I don't know what else to really say about it, though. Like, I just – I don't see the Bengals doing it. I, I wish I could. I wish I had a legitimate pull and feeling about the Bengals. I just don't. I can't. I can't get there. I don't know. Got to go with the Rams, I guess. We did talk about most of the periphery stuff last episode. You know, the commercials, the halftime show, all that. What we didn't talk about, though, is the snacks. We're talking about game time. We can't be talking about game time without talking about snack time. I mean, what is this? Some non-American country? Get out of here. So what do you guys got on deck? What are you going to be watching the Super Bowl with? What's going to be filling your gullets? What do you got planned? Anything? Anything fun? Well, normally if I was still hanging out with Bug and going to uh, Bug's house for uh, the Super Bowl, uh, there'd be a lot of buffalo chicken dip. Um I respect it. Yeah, I'd be munching on that literally the entire game. This year, I'm probably just going to have a good old adult beverage or two uh, and uh, hang out at a bar. Pump those numbers up. Yeah. (laughs) It's a family show. I'm treating this like it's um, forms for uh, certain tests that we do. Um, (laughs) I think I might have a case of adult beverages or two. There you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. What do you got, Buggy Doug? You, you, you said me? Buffalo Dip, though. Or Tug said Buffalo Dip for you. Anything else you got planned? I'm actually not going to go the Buffalo Chicken Dip route this time uh, because I'm going to be the only one that would eat it. So, I mean, honestly, you could ship some to me. I could. It's an option. I, I, don't, I don't know if it would be good by the time I got there, but I'm a big fan of the. Uh, the barbecue meatballs, those are pretty awesome. Oh. Maybe get some pigs Respect. in a blanket action. Respect. 
get, get those two things going on. I like little uh, little finger foods. I don't know what it is about you know either the cocktail weenies and barbecue sauce or the barbecue meatballs. Those always seem to just bring it home for me a little bit more than than anything else. Do. I don't know why. Get a little toothpick action going on. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a great time. Oh yeah, I wish I had some of those on deck, but really I'm going to be keeping it simple. I've got some pizza rolls. You know, there you go in the food. oven, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Get out of here with your microwave nonsense. You, you're gonna, you're gonna uh, <laughs> hot lava dragon breath that uh, as you as, as you stuff them down your gullet. Oh yeah, nice. All, all forty of them still at four hundred degrees. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe try to sneak a nacho or two. See what happens. Maybe maybe try to deck it out. Maybe some actual like pour some beef on it and beans and cheese and maybe bake it for a little bit. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you a real easy nacho dip. All right. You you just go buy a jar of cheese nacho dip. dip? Wow. Yeah. Don't don't buy don't buy the tostitos. <laughs> go buy like something from the refrigerated section, right? It'll come, you know, okay. Mexican cheese dip. And then you go buy your ground beef and your taco seasoning. You make the ground beef, the taco seasoning, you drain the grease, you pour the cheese in there. Boom. Real simple, delicious. You want, you know, you want to add some, some extra jalapenos or, or some uh, onions or whatever. Go for it. It is so easy. And I love it because Walmart has Gordo's cheese dip and it's literally just liquefied cheese. It's perfect for it. There you go. What I'm thinking of doing instead of draining that grease off the meat is injecting that straight into my veins. There you go. <laughs> Worked out very well for me so far. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to hummus and pita chips, by the way, David. Uh, however, I'm not going to boycott the Super Bowl this year. Uh, slow train videos, they're not going to do it for me on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to hummus either. You know, it actually sounds pretty good it's, right now. The- I, I wish I had some in front I, of me. I kind of want to go get some some garlic on this <laughs> right now. I'm not going to lie to you. But that's the Super Bowl coming up. Um, yeah, very different opinions across the show, as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you, want, you guys wanted to talk about with this? I mean, we've had a whole week of discussion back and forth with, with this game, and I don't know what else there is to be said about it, honestly. I just want to – I'm itching for some action, you know? I'm just ready for anything, man. Honestly, I we gotta we gotta get into this uh, into the game. Like I can't I can't Wait. keep waiting. Yep, <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. So before we wrap up the show, though, we do have a segment to introduce, which I mean we we teased before when Tug was so forgetful about the great Houston Oiler Earl Campbell. I will not let you live that down, by the way. That's um, entirely valid. I have <laughs> earned all of your ridicule. <laughs> We're going to be talking about NFL MVPs, okay? We're going to be breaking down the greatest of the greats. We're looking at all the history of the AP MVP award, and we're going to be going through each and every one of them with your help determining the greatest one to ever do it. So. What does that mean for an actual bracket structure? What would that possibly look like? It turns out there's a little bit more than 64 different NFL MVPs. So we have three 
play-in games before we get to the actual bracket of 64. We're going to need your help on that this weekend. Go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, get your votes in for these play-in games before we can actually set up the real bracket. But next episode, you're going to be seeing a full 64 field of MVPs, people who have won the NFL MVP before. Now, the way I've seeded this bracket, it's done by percentage of the vote received. So there are two instances of unanimous MVPs. So how would I seed that then, right? The one who did it first gets the number one overall seed. The one who did it second gets number two overall seed, right? So 2010 Tom Brady is going to be your number one seed in this bracket. Um, Lamar Jackson 2019 is your number two seed in this bracket, right? It keeps going down as percentage of the vote decreases all the way down to number 64, Alan Page, with only 27% of the vote. But he ended up winning MVP that year, so he still makes the bracket. We have three play-in games this weekend we want to talk about and get your votes on, though, before we can actually set up that whole field. What are those play-in games, you might ask? Well, let's go in order. First up, we have co-MVPs in 1997. We need your help sorting this out. Who is the better MVP that year? 1997, Brett Favre, and 1997, Barry Sanders. Who had the better season? We need your help. Go vote on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Vote in the chat right now. We'll write it down. We'll remember it. We need your help deciding this. The next matchup we will be talking about in the very next episode is 2003 co-MVPs Peyton Manning and Steve McNair in 2003. Same amount of votes for MVP. They tied officially co-MVPs in 2003. That's the second time of two different times that it happened in league history. We need your help sorting it out. Who was the better MVP that year? Go vote. Help us set up this bracket. And the last play-in game, for some reason, in 1961 and 1975, they didn't make the percentage of the vote received public. So I don't know where to seed these guys. Uh, these are the only two years that that information was not made public for some reason. So Paul Horning and Fran Tarkenton won MVP, according to the AP, but we don't know by how much. So let's get your votes in determining who makes the field of 64. 1961, Paul Horning. 1975, Fran Targenton. We need your votes. Help us out. And uh, worth mentioning, there's a couple names on this list just in these play-in games that you've probably seen in a bracket from us before. Right. Of course, talking about Barry Sanders and uh, Paul Horning himself, both Heisman winners and both MVPs. I don't know that we have any other Heisman and MVPs I think those are the only two, right? Um, no, there's you know, a few. I didn't in there. look for that, but uh, I know those two for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marcus Allen won MVP as well. Oh, Jason Simpson here as well. MVP. Yep. I mean, there's a couple. There's a couple. But yeah, we've already done this for Heisman. We said, you know, we need to do this for the NFL. But if we're going to do it for the NFL, we might as well wait until the most recent MVP has been announced. That is right. 2021 Aaron Rodgers is already in the field of 64. He's already been seated. So we need your help with these last three places here. We'll have a complete field of 64. And we'll be counting down the best MVP in NFL history. 
this is it's pretty exciting. I'm excited for this one. This is amazing. I will cry if it ends up being Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> well, I can assure you that one of the first rounds we'll see is an Aaron Rodgers versus Brett Favre. So we're getting some of the Green Bay Packers out of the way early. That's a lose lose for for Bug right there. No, it's a Brett Favre advances. No questions asked for <laughs> for me right there. Man, we have we have a bunch of matchups to go through though, and we're going to be counting this down all the way up until the NFL draft. Basically, every episode you're going to see from now until then is going to have this bracket as a part of it. We definitely want your help. You know, if you're watching us live during bracket time, we can take your votes then too. We just want any input you guys have, make this as inclusive as possible, right? If you have an opinion on this, we want to hear it. So I, don't, I really don't know what else to say here. I'm, I'm just stoked to get this going. We need your votes on these first three matchups, though, for sure, this weekend. I'm just excited to get back into bracket time. It seems like oh, it's, it's been, been forever since we've done it. Yeah, and it's Ruth. man. It uh, you know we did a we did the Heisman uh, Heisman bracket actually backwards of how we're doing this one. We announced our winner the same time we were hearing who won the Heisman this year. Well, this time we waited for the uh, actual MVP, the NFL MVP, and we're throwing him straight into the fire, straight into the gauntlet, and I hope he loses by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you a peek at that one too. First round, 2021 Aaron Rodgers going against Bart Starr. So a couple of Green Bay Packer matchups, first round. Pretty exciting. For who? <laughs> Us to see your reaction every time. <laughs> yeah, for that right there. That's why it's exciting. <laughs> but I really I really don't have anything else to say about this. What do you got? Anything? Well, let's clean it up then, boys. I got nothing to add. Okay. If I mean, you have been watching us live, you will have been seeing all of our social media links and everything scrolling across the bottom there. Patreon.com slash BDT football, Twitter.com slash BDT football. Essentially, think of BDT football. You can find us most places, including our very own website, BDTfootball.com. The two differences are Instagram, BDT underscore football, and on Twitch, make sure you're watching the show live. Big dudes in the trenches, all one word. Do want to give a huge shout out to our latest Patreon subscriber, Leanne Dickerson. Thank you very much for subscribing to the Patreon. Um, yeah, I, it's that's pretty sensational. So make sure you uh, everybody signs up, stays in touch with us. We have a Discord server, and we have access early access to these kind of brackets and to the college ball trench ratings, all sorts of things on our Patreon. Just give us a shout. We're absolutely working on building that up. And if you are or prefer to just be an audio listener, listener, don't forget you can still send in your questions to mailbox at bdtfootball.com. You don't have to be live and in the chat to get your questions in on the show. I got to say though, before I hand it over to Tug to take us out here today, got a question for y'all. It's Dad Joke Thursday. What do you call a magician that has lost his magic? Useless. Ian.
<laughs> I mean, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That is all the time we have on the show today. And just remember, you can't win a game if you can't win a tournament.